Um, it's good to see you all this morning. So thankful to be together in the house of the Lord. Um, my name is Amy Winkle. If I haven't met you so far, my, um, I have been serving as the priest in charge in this season when Jenny has been out on maternity leave. Um, and as I mentioned at the beginning of the service last week, Jenny is coming back next Sunday. Um, and so we're excited to have her um, be part of our services again and part of our day-to-day life of the church. And uh, so we're looking forward to that. So I just wanted to give you a few more details about what her re-entry will look like. Um, as again, she'll be here next Sunday and be part of the service. Um, I will be preaching to kind of end us end our time in Epiphany. And then she will um, lead us into Lent starting on Ash Wednesday. Upon her return, I am shifting out of the priest in charge role that I've been in the last couple months, and I'll be moving into an interim associate priest role um, so that we can continue to have more staff capacity here as we're in a transitional season um, and going through the rector search. So um, so I'm excited to continue to get to worship with you all and and, uh, to serve alongside you. And so I just want to take a moment just to say thank you. Um, Thank you for these last few months and just your hospitality, your welcome toward me, your kindness toward me and my family. Um, It's just been a gift and a blessing, a real honor um, to be here, to be part of this community. Um, And so thank you for um, for letting me walk alongside you. And I look forward to the months ahead when we have the opportunity to continue to follow the Lord together. So um, we are still in the Sermon of the Mount as we continue our time in Epiphany. So we are still in chapter 5, and we're going to just kind of continue where we left off last week. So as far as a little bit of reminder of where we've been, uh, when the Sermon on the Mount starts in chapter 5, we see um, Jesus kind of coming up the mountain um, to teach and his disciples sitting around him. And he starts by talking about the Beatitudes, right? The blessed are the poor in spirit, um, blessed are those who mourn, kind of talking to us about this posture of our heart. And then last week, um, Leon walked us through the passage on this being the salt and the light, what that means for us as believers to be salt and light in the world um, around us. And so now Jesus is going to turn his attention to the law and the prophets. And so we're going to start reading in chapter 17. And if you remember last week, I think Leon mentioned like there was like a part that he left off, like he kind of talked about salt and light, and then there was a part about the law and the prophets he kind of left off. And so I'm going to go back and we're going to read those verses because they're a good introduction um, to our verses for today. So let's start reading in, in uh, verse 17, and we're going to go through verse 37. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you'll be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. So when you're offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. 
Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard it said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool. Or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So these are not necessarily words that you find like in some kind of like church growth manual. (laughs) Jesus kind of sits down and starts like, you know, he just cuts right to the heart of the matter. Um, And so we sit with him today and we kind of sit with where where he is and what it is that he's trying to say to his disciples and to the crowd that has been following after him. And so as we talked about a few weeks ago, like Matthew's kind of, um, he's following the, the journey through Jesus of, that Israel has been on, right? Like that they came out of Egypt, they were slaves in Egypt, came out um, and went through the wilderness um, by the, through the Exodus, and then ended up at Mount Sinai where they received the law. And we see a similar trajectory for Jesus, that he spent time in Egypt. Um, he had to go to Egypt to escape death, right? Has come back, has gone through the waters of baptism, and now has gone up the, um, the, the mountain to teach. And so it, it's, it's bringing this back into, the, into view, right? This whole idea of the giving of the law um, to Moses on, the, on Mount Sinai. And now Jesus is referring to the law specifically as he's talking to them. And so let's go back and talk about the giving of the law to Moses um, in Exodus 20. So as I said, Israel's been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. So that's all they know is what it means to be slaves. But through these amazing events of the Exodus, of God coming, Yahweh coming to them um, and and bringing them out of of Egypt in this really remarkable way, They're heading toward the promised land. And as they journey through the wilderness, God shows up on Mount Sinai and he gives them the law. Basically saying, you've been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And so you don't know what it means to live with me and to live with one another. And so I'm going to like set the ground rules for us so that we have a sense of what, um, what is needed, what it looks like to be in relationship together. Another way to say this is that God makes a covenant with the people of Israel. Now, covenant was a common agreement in the ancient Near East, whereby individuals or groups or nations could spell out their relationship with one another. We might think of this like a treaty or something like that, where there's kind of like terms that you say, this is how we're going to coexist with each other. 
And so that's what we see in the Mosaic law is God using this familiar form, like, I mean, literally the form that they would use with, one, with each other to form co- covenants, to make a covenant between Israel and himself. And so the way that this works is that there's two parties. And so if there's a more powerful party, which there usually is, that's called the suzerain. And that party promises to provide protection and provision for the weaker party. The weaker party, known as the vassal, promises loyalty to the suzerain, promises like to give offerings and, and part of its, its wares to the, to the suzerain in exchange for protection, promises to provide uh, people who will help to fight on behalf of the suzerain, the, the more uh, powerful party. But the point of it is, is that they are committed to one another. There is a bond there. That this is not just some kind of like simple agreement, but actually there's familial language that's used in this. Even within these covenants, this father and son type language we see, like this, we are bonded together. We are committed to one another. So this is Yahweh saying, I, you are my people no matter what. And this is Israel saying, you are our God no matter what. And so what happens as the covenant is sealed is that it goes through a ratification ceremony in which um, requires the sacrifice of animals and then the sprinkling of blood. And so what we see after Moses reads the, um, the law to the, to the people, they go through this ceremony where they, go, they do sacrifice animals. There's blood from the animals that literally gets sprinkled over the people as a way of saying that this covenant is sure. This covenant is sealed, and we know it to be, to be true. So the beginning of the Mosaic Covenant is the Ten Commandments, as we know them. The first four um, tell them how they're going to relate to God. The other six are how they relate to each other. And so Yahweh is spelling out to this newly released group of slaves how they're meant to be in relationship with him and with one another. So now Jesus is taking this Mosaic Covenant, this law, and he's decided to expound upon it. You might say that he's recalling the law of Moses and, and fine-tuning it for where they are now. To say, the way that I gave it to you back on Mount Sinai was what you needed at that point. But now we're at a different place now. And so we see him repeating this phrase, you have heard it say, you have heard it said, but now I say. He focuses on statements mainly from the last six commandments, the ones that tell them how to relate to one another. And so it's kind of like he takes it and he's upping the ante a little bit. He's saying, like, this was baseline, and now we're going to, like, take it to another level. So, for instance, he says, you have heard it said, you shall not murder. But I say, do not be angry or insult others or put them down. Now, let's think about this for a second. Do not murder. The bar's kind of low, right? Like, for most of us, we're like, okay, I can do that. That's not so hard. But if we add on there, what about feeling angry with someone who's close to us? Or saying hurtful or insulting words about them or to them out of anger? Anybody? That feels a little more closer to home, huh? And so then we can also look at it and say, the next one, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say... Do not look with lust at another person. Again, committing adultery, probably not. 
or it's going to take a, a bit to get there, right? Like that's not, like the bar is sort of low on that one as far as being able to like say like, I, can, I think I could stick with that one. But what about objectifying another person for our own benefit? And in so doing, not honoring them as the full person that God has created them to be. That's not so easy. This is more than just keeping a set of rules. But Jesus is going to the motivations behind the behaviors. He's going to the heart, to the inner person. And he's laying out the new covenant that Jeremiah referred to. So in Jeremiah 31, we see him say, The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my heart, my law within them, sorry, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. The new covenant that Jeremiah is talking about here is now being inaugurated with Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. This covenant that goes to the heart of each person that cares not just about the actions, but the very heart and inner life of each person. This law that goes deeper into the innermost part of all of us, that that nothing is ever hidden, and that through that, the curse of the fall can be lifted, the curse that allows us to see others less than what they are created to be, to see ourselves as less than we were created to be, so that we can now live in harmony with wholeness and with God and each other. So Sandy Richter, who's an Old Testament scholar, who was actually my Old Testament professor at seminary, who, she does great work on covenant, by the way, so I commend it to you. But she says this. So Jesus' reiteration of the law was necessary partly to confront the Jews with the fact that their attempted adherence to the law wasn't working. And as Jesus and um, Paul both state repeatedly, adherence wasn't working because their hearts were not changing. Thus, a new covenant was needed, a new relationship between God and humanity in which the people themselves could be transformed. And so I wonder for you, like, can you think of a a place in your life, an area in your own life where your actions may have changed or you're kind of doing the right thing, going along with through the motions of it, but your heart is just really not in it. You know that your inner being has not really been changed but that there's something deeper at play. For me, like one of the ways that I think about this is as um, my, my particular personality, and I am an introvert by nature, um, one of the things that I've learned over the last few years is that I can become transactional in nature, like or in being at times, especially like when I may feel um, hurt or rejected, or maybe I'm just like going through the motions because uh, I'm tired, I don't have anything left to give. And so what I can do in those moments, instead of engaging fully, is that I can just sort of go through the motions, but not really engage my full self, my heart. And there's some of that I think that's happening here. And maybe, maybe that happens to all of us in some kind of ways where we can kind of uh, do what we know we need to do, and yet we're not fully present 
not fully living, not fully letting the Lord transform us from the inside out. And I think that's kind of what's happening here in this text. So Jesus goes on, and he, he pulls out another part of the law related to divorce. Now, before we talk about divorce, I want to acknowledge the complexity of this issue for many of us. That just based on statistics alone in our culture, it goes without saying that many of us have been affected by divorce, either directly or through our families and our friends. And we've seen the hurt that can come from this reality, like no matter what the circumstances were. So for those in the room who have experienced divorce, either personally or with those close to you, we grieve with you. And we pray for the Lord's healing in the deepest parts of your soul. Also, if you are in a marriage where there is abuse or adultery or abandonment, this is not the moment where Jesus and the church is telling you to buck up and to keep going and to just take it. But instead, we offer you a safe place. And your church community is willing to help you. And so these words from Jesus are not, not here for you. And I just want to make that clear as we move forward. So let's go back to the text. So what is Jesus saying about divorce? So this same dynamic of kind of fine-tuning or upping the ante is present here as well as Jesus starts to talk about it. He says, it was said also, but I say to you. Now this is not one of the Ten Commandments that we know of, but it is later in the law that Moses gives the people um, the opportunity to give a certificate of divorce. Now the male is able to give a certificate of divorce Um, in this case, and really doesn't have to have much reason for it. Um, And some of, like, Jewish writings, it shows, like, how, you know, if the wife burns the dinner, um, that that is cause for divorce. Um, And so that's what we're talking about here. (laughs) Jesus is pointing to something um, here that we we need to pay attention to. So um, the cultural reality was that a man could divorce his wife for very little reason. And therefore, in this patriarchal culture, leave her vulnerable without means or protection. So I think when Jesus is saying, like, um, that you can't just give her a divorce for no reason, he's talking about it in a similar way that he was talking about anger and lust. That it should not be done in such a way to dishonor the image of another person. Instead, he's extending protection to the party who has less rights or options in this particular culture. So, but I think there's something else here, too, for us when we think about this idea of divorce. And maybe it's that we don't focus on divorce, but instead we talk about marriage. And what is Jesus um, pointing to when he's kind of pointing to this to say that marriage um, is a human covenant that mirrors the covenant between God and us, between Jesus and the church? So if God is interested in fidelity and covenant faithfulness, then it means that husbands and wives living out life together in faithfulness and love is one representation of covenant relationship between God and his people. That he is our God no matter what, and we are his people. Now, if we step back and we think about our overarching culture that doesn't necessarily think of marriage in this way, that doesn't think of marriage necessarily as a covenant, but instead we see it more as like, a, you know, like we can get in and out of it pretty easily. And so I wonder what it means for us to be citizens of heaven in this culture, to point to marriage as a way of being in covenant with one another, and not just as a matter of just being together, but to choose the good and flourishing of the other, to be committed to another person in love and fidelity, 
to not be mainly concerned with what I can get out of it, but instead commit myself to bringing out the best in another and to honor that commitment. And so I think that's what Jesus is getting to here is that this isn't a flippant thing. Like we're up in the ante on this to say this is a big deal. Like this is a, a bond here that is important and it actually points to something bigger, something beyond yourself. And so it, it ties in with what Jesus starts to say about taking oaths. That to be a people of integrity, we should say what we mean and what we actually intend to do. That we should let our yes be yes and our no be no without having to put a lot of embellishment around it. That we, we do what we say and, then, and, we're, and that people can take us at our word. So, we've covered a lot of ground, <laughs> right? We've talked about anger. We've talked about lust. We've talked about divorce. We've talked about oaths. So let's step back for a minute and, like, look at it as a whole. It's kind of like when we talked about the Beatitudes. It's like there's so much here that we could spend a lot of time with. So what Jesus is saying is that the Mosaic law is not enough, that he has come to fulfill the law, not to abolish it, so he wants to take it deeper. Following the rules is not enough to really lead to the changing of our inner being. The heart and the posture change is what makes us citizens of heaven rather than citizens of this world. And so what Jesus is doing in this moment is he is making a new covenant with us. But what does, what does this new covenant, how does this new covenant get enacted? There is a need for another ratification ceremony. Remember when we talked about this. A sacrifice is needed. The sacrifice of the lamb and the sprinkling of blood that brings a new covenant to pass. And the responsibility for that is not laid on the vassal, in this case, the weaker, the weaker party, as would be the custom. But instead, it is the suzerain himself, God himself, who has taken on the responsibility for our behalf. That God knows, and Jesus knows, that we are not capable of this change in our inner being on our own. That we need help, just like Israel needed help when they were stuck in Egypt. We need help. We need a redeemer who's going to bring us out of bondage once and for all. And so Jesus goes to the cross to do just that. And he becomes the enactment of this new covenant through his body and his blood. So how might we we respond to the Sermon on the Mount in light of Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf? I think there are different ways that we can approach that we could approach it or that we could respond. One tendency is that we can look at the, the what he says in the Sermon on the Mount and say, you know, this is really just impossible. Surely Jesus wasn't being serious. Um, surely he didn't expect us to be able to like live up to this. And by and because of his sacrifice, there's grace for us. And so we don't really have to change. Now, it's true that there is grace for us and that we can ask for forgiveness as we, but, but it's also true that Jesus wants to change us from the inside out. That it's not just about like, oh, well, I missed it and I'm going to miss it again. Like it's about what is that lasting change that he wants to do in our hearts, in our lives. The other way that we can respond to this message of the Sermon on the Mount is a hypersensitivity of trying to keep all of God's laws as strictly as possible. And I don't think that's what Jesus has in mind either. That sense of legalism um, that we really can't do it on our own even though if we want to. And so there's kind of these two extremes that are happening here. 
But I think both of those are missing the point because the point of all of it is covenant, is us working in tandem with God, of God saying, my Holy Spirit will abide in you and change you. And us saying we will cooperate with the Holy Spirit in paying attention to not only our actions, but also our motives and our emotions behind them and submitting those to the Holy Spirit so that he can change us. So my question for you today is, or several questions, what is it in your inner being that you continue to struggle against? What is that in you that you're like, I just, I try to get a handle on this, and I just can't. Or maybe my actions have changed, and yet my heart's really still far away from God. Maybe it is around anger or lust. Maybe it is a struggle to honor your commitment in your relationships or to keep your word. Or maybe it's something else. I invite us to look inward and look into to that place in us in the spirit to say, Lord, where is it? Where is my heart not, no longer transformed? What part of me have I not given over to you? And what would it look like to work in tandem with the Holy Spirit to allow him to change that part of you, to open that part up and see what change might look like? And I don't think that this is just like a me and Jesus kind of thing. This is why we have community too, right? This is why we live together. And so I wonder, how might community be involved for you in this process? Is it something that you can you want to talk to your pastors about and get prayer for or someone in your neighborhood group or maybe you're saying you know what I just I think I really need to talk to a spiritual director or a counselor we can resource you in that and we would like to if you're there if you're at a place in your marriage where you're like you know we've just kind of gotten to an impasse and we don't know which way to go reach out to us to your pastors let us get you in touch with a counselor so that we can walk these things out together and faithfulness. It's what Jesus came to do. It's what he went to the cross to do, to enact this new covenant between us and God that brings freedom and wholeness. And I just want that so much for each one of us, the sense of freedom and wholeness in our lives that is on offer. And would we allow him to continue that work in us, to mold us into citizens of heaven? May it be so, Lord. Amen.